You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Autumn, Maya, and Grant, and Isaac, and Nate, and Daniel, and Luke. Dear confessors of the faith, Jesus loves you. If somehow in the last two years, every week for an hour and a half in classes with Pastor Flamey and and with me, you did not hear that clearly, I want to make sure that you hear it now. Jesus loves you. Yes, He knows that you're a sinner. He knows that you've done things wrong. He knows the commandments that you've broken. And that's why His love for you is in the shape of a cross. He loves you so much that He died for you to redeem you and to to rescue you. Now, I've heard all seven of you confess these words to me, these most beautiful words. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. And that is beautiful. Because it means that you know that this is true, that Jesus loves you. And then you kept going. You, you all confessed that Jesus has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with His holy precious blood and with His innocent suffering and death. Now, it's difficult for me to imagine more beautiful words. And even more beautiful, to hear them from your lips, to know that you have memorized them, that you have written them on your hearts, and you've confessed them to me and to your parents, and to each other, all as if to say, yes, I know it is true that Jesus loves me. I've learned the Ten Commandments, which show how I ought to love and how I've failed to love. I've learned of my sin, which deserved God's anger and still does. I've learned of the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, how He in His love has saved me, And I've learned of the Holy Spirit, of the Word of God, of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which is how the Lord Jesus gets His love to us today. I've learned these things and I believe them. You've told it to me, and in a few minutes, you seven will stand here before God and His church, and you'll confess this to everybody. (laughs) Yes, you will say, I know it is true. Jesus loves me. And this is the most important thing in life and in death. In good and bad times, when the Lord hands your life over to trouble or to success, through it all, to know that Jesus loves you. That God is not mad at you. That the cross and the empty tomb are the fundamental realities that define the universe, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus are the most important things in your life and in the history of the cosmos. Now, it's often going to work out this way in your life. The devil will come and tempt you. 
And the temptation comes in different forms. Sometimes he'll tempt you to sin, to break one of the commandments. Sometimes he tempts you to pride, to think that you're pretty good, that you've done everything pretty well, done everything right, that God loves you because of your great pile of good works. But very often the devil comes to tempt us to despair, to unbelief, to think that God doesn't love us, that Jesus doesn't love us because of the things that we've done, because of the failures, because of the sins that we've committed. But this is a lie. It's a lie from the devil himself. And we stand against the lie in the truth that Jesus does love us and that he died on the cross for us. Now, if you wanted to undo God's love for you, this is what you'd have to do. First, you'd have to build a time machine. That's the easy part. Then you get in that time machine and you go back 2,000 years to Jerusalem and you find Jesus on the cross. And then you get a crowbar and you pull out the nails and you take Jesus off the cross and you lock him up in a cage to prevent him from getting back on the cross to die for you. In other words, you can't do it. And even if somehow you could, Jesus wouldn't let you. He would find a way back onto the cross, back to his bleeding and suffering and dying for you. Because this is true. Jesus loves you. And this is something that we need to hear and learn and remember our entire lives. Which brings me to the second point of this sermon. And that is the thing that I don't like about confirmation. (laughs) That's kind of a funny thing to preach on today, your confirmation day. But, but even though this day is so wonderful, and you guys look so great, and we all have the joy and privilege of hearing your confession of faith, and you guys will get some pretty cool certificates, and everything else about this day is, there's even a cake back there waiting for you guys. Everything else is great. There's something dangerous about confirmation that makes me think every year about not having it at all, just skipping it. And it is this. It is the idea that confirmation is graduation. Now, the devil has been very successful with this, with this lie. And it goes like this, that you've learned it all, that you've studied what you need to study, that you know what you need to know, that you have now met the requirements and the obligations of church, and now it is time to move on to other things. No! That is demonic. We preach it. We preach it. I was preaching it to you guys last week. You remember, I was standing right there preaching the same sermon to you guys. And every year, the confirmation class nods their head. Everybody nods their head. But year after year, people are confirmed, and then we don't see them again. And eventually, they leave the church, and they fall away from the faith altogether. And I would rather not have confirmation than see people leave. Or better, I would like to have a confirmation class that actually never ended. Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, middle school, all the way through high school, all the way through college, into your career, and then you get married and you start a family and you bring your spouse and your children with you to confirmation class every week to learn the catechism and the scriptures. And they never graduate either, but they go to class every week as they grow up and they start a family. And then in your confirmation class with you are your grand, are your grandchildren and your children and their children. And the only way to graduate from confirmation is to die and go to heaven. Now that's the confirmation class I want. 
And it turns out, that's in fact the confirmation class that we have. That's what we're doing here every Sunday morning. We come together to learn the Lord's Word, to hear the Lord's Word, to learn how to believe and love and pray and fight against the devil so that all of us are in confirmation class and none of us can ever finish learning what the Lord Jesus never can finish teaching. So you guys are not graduating. In fact, one of the promises that you guys are about to make is that is something like this. I will always come to church. I will always hear the preaching. I will always eat and drink the body and the blood of Jesus for the rest of my life until I die. You are in this permanent confirmation class together with all of us. Now, you guys are saying, because I know you guys, you guys are thinking to yourself, well, pastor, if coming to church is confirmation class, what have we been doing for the last two years on Sunday afternoon <laughs> for, for an hour and a half? You've been getting ready. You've been getting ready for this day and the two things that this day gives to you. First is the confession of faith. And second, and more importantly, is the body and the blood of Jesus. Last week we talked about how, how rare it is in this life that we ever take an oath or we make a vow. And this is the point that I want you guys to hear very clearly. This is for all of us, by the way. The rest of you guys can listen to right? That oaths and vows are the beginning of something. When you take an oath or when you make a vow, it is almost always means that you're starting a new vocation or you're entering into a new calling. I mean, think about this. When you make your wedding vows, you go from being engaged to being married. Now, imagine the couple that spends all their time together engaged, getting ready to get married. They plan the ceremony. They, they have everything in place. They have pre-marriage classes with a the pastor. They go to the church and get married. And then they leave the church and they never see each other again. That's crazy. Right? Or, or this. Pastors take vows before they start preaching and giving out the body and blood. I stood right there about 13 years ago, and took my ordination vows. Now imagine if something, if it went like this. So 17 years ago, I said to Carrie, let's take our family, let's go to the seminary, let's study for four years, let's learn the Bible and theology, church history, everything you need to know to be a pastor. And then you go and do a vicarage, and then you stand there at the call service, and you get your call, and then you go and graduate, and you stand before professors and, and pastors of the church, district presidents, and they, and they quiz you to make sure that you know all the doctrine. And then you get a call, and we'd move here to Lutheran Church, and I would stand there, and I'd take my ordination vows, and then I would never come back to church again. <laughs> never come to preach, or to teach, or to be a pastor. What, now, what would you think of that? You'd say, that is absolutely crazy. It's foolish. And you would be right. Because a vow doesn't mean that something is over and finished. A vow means that it's just getting started. Your marriage vow means that your marriage is just getting started. Your ordination vow means that it's just getting started. And so your confirmation vow. You are just now getting started. You are entering into the office. And the office that you are entering into today, that you seven are entering into, is the office of confessor. Sometimes we can call it the office of communicant member. But that's the same. It means that now... You have the responsibility of speaking publicly the words that you are a Christian. And that you come here and you take your place 
at the Lord's altar along with the rest of the church where Jesus himself gives you the body and the blood. Now this office of confessor is quite a thing to consider on our own, but listen, you are not on your own. And which of us would be worthy to take up the word of God on our lips or to take the body and the blood of Jesus onto our lips Left to ourselves, we would, we, this would be more than we could ask for or even imagine, but you are not by yourself. We heard it in the reading from Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost story. All the apostles were there gathered together in the upper room. Maybe they were there because they were scared or confused, or it doesn't seem like they knew what they were supposed to be doing, but God the Holy Spirit came down on them, and the tongues of fire rested over their heads. And they all went out into the street and started talking about Jesus to all the people who were gathered there. And they could, by a miracle on that day, preach in every different language of all the people. And then Peter stands up in the middle and he preaches a sermon about the death of Jesus and promised them the forgiveness of sins. Now, all of this work was not done by their own strength or power or wisdom or courage, but by the Holy Spirit. And so it is with every Christian. And so it is with you. We cannot say... Paul tells us, we cannot say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So when Christians confess the creed, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work giving out that confession. And when you guys stand here and confess your faith, we know that the Holy Spirit is at work giving you the strength and the courage to say these things. And we also know that the chief way that we confess our faith to the world is when we come to the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm pretty sure that we don't think about this as much as we ought to. We, we come to the Lord's Supper because Jesus commands us to come to the Supper and because Jesus has a promise. He says, do this often in remembrance of me. That's the command. And we have the promise, this is my body, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So we come at the command and promise. But Paul also reminds us of this. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. When you take the Lord's body and blood, you proclaim, you preach, you confess. You confess to Jesus and you confess to the world that this is the body and blood, that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, that your sins are forgiven. You confess that you are a Christian and that Jesus loves you. Now, you seven confessors of the faith did a bit of work to get where you are today, to get ready for today. But it turns out that Jesus is the one who has been doing the heavy lifting all along. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who's risen. He's the one who sits at the Father's right hand, who lives now to serve you and to pray for you and to bless you. He's the one who gives you his body and blood and forgives you all your sins, and he is the one who keeps you in the true faith, even to life everlasting. And he is the one who says that we should not be afraid. We can't get out of the sermon without, without mentioning the gospel lesson from John 14, especially this verse right in the middle because it's so beautiful. Jesus says this. Ready? He says, Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not like the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I mean, this could have been the confirmation verse for all of you. Because here we are, in the midst of this life, with all sorts of trouble, with things that we're afraid of, with things that terrify us, Jesus comes to us right in the middle of it all, and he says, don't let it happen. I've got you. I'm with you. You'll have trouble. Don't worry. You'll have frightful things, but you have something greater. Jesus says, you have me. And Jesus has died for your sins. Jesus says that there is no judgment for you, no condemnation, no wrath and anger from God, that you have peace and you have forgiveness and you have his body and blood. You have the sure hope of eternal life. You have God's smile. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You guys might be a little bit nervous about about standing here in a few minutes, right? About your first communion. Look, this is a meal of peace. In this meal, Jesus comes to you every week and he tells you and he teaches you the things that he wants to tell and teach us all of our lives. That our sins are forgiven. And that he loves you. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.